The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. Greetings, scribes. Just a quick break to recommend our recent sponsor's Book of the Month. Book of the Month makes reading better by offering members a few new book selections each month to help you cut through the noise, save time, and make it easier to decide what to read next. Each month, the editorial team reads through hundreds of new titles and picks five to seven of the best new books for you to choose from. All of these books are good, so you really can't go wrong. Book of the Month helps readers like you and I find books that we wouldn't normally discover on our own. The cool part is selections largely focus on new and upcoming authors in multiple genres. Book of the Month also recently launched curated audiobooks, so members can get a hardcover or an audiobook each month, which you can then download and listen to right in the app. This month, I chose A Little Supernatural Fair in Murder Road by New York Times bestselling author Simone St. James, described as the story of a young couple that find themselves haunted by a string of gruesome murders committed along an old deserted road in this terrifying new novel. Just go to bookofthemonth.com to pick your first book and join Book of the Month. That's bookofthemonth.com. And for a limited time, you can join and get that first book for just $9.99 with the code CHIRP. That's C-H-I-R-P. Enjoy. It's just like you really want to get lost in flow, you know, when you're in this fictional world and anything that takes you out of it is sort of like, uh, it's a, you know, it's an annoyance. And so, so anything, you know, whether that's music or people talking to you, I think that's why the, you know, the famed like room with a door sort of thing is just shut the rest of the world out so that you can get lost in this one. And so getting rid of as many distractions is the ideal. And welcome back to The Writer Files. This is your humble host, Kelton Reed, wishing you pages, patience, and perseverance per usual. Critically acclaimed internationally best-selling novelist Stephanie Robel spoke to me about her humble beginnings as a copywriter, turning her thesis into a bestseller, and the process of writing, This Might Hurt. Stephanie's the author of Darling Rose Gold, an instant bestseller of 2020 that received rave reviews and was nominated for multiple awards, including the Edgar Award for Best First Novel. Her follow-up is This Might Hurt, described as a dark, thrilling novel about two sisters, one trapped in the clutches of a cult, the other in a web of her own lies. New York Times bestselling author of The Push, Ashley Audran, said of the book, a gripping, clever exploration of fear and vulnerability right until the flawless ending. Stephanie has an MFA from Emerson College and has had short fiction published in the Bellevue Literary Review. In this file, Stephanie and I discussed the challenges of writing the second novel, researching real-life cults, how she writes a chapter a day instead of using word counts, why she loathes the idea of standing desks, how to rediscover your love of writing, and a lot more. Stay calm and write on. And don't forget, you can always support this show by heading to writerfiles.fm, where you can also sign up for email updates, get links to merch, and other resources for writers. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click follow to automatically see new interviews in your podcatcher as soon as they're published, and drop us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you tune in to help other writers find us. All right, we are back on The Writer Files. 
and I am honored today to be joined by the internationally best-selling, critically acclaimed author, Stephanie Robel. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this today. Oh, thank you for having me. So, uh, yeah, we were chatting for a moment about um, the excitement of the day. What, what does this day feel like for you? It feels a little surreal, to be honest. It's, I, I can't believe I have a second novel coming out in the pandemic, frankly, <laughs> but it's nice to be able to talk to people. And this part of the process is nice because you spend so much time alone in a room. So to get to talk to people about the book is really exciting. Yeah, that's pretty fascinating. Um, you may be one of the few authors that we've spoken to that had a, a debut novel uh, come out in 2020 it, during the pandemic. And of course, you're having your second baby born uh, still in a pandemic. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it, it must feel a little bit different. Yeah, talk maybe talk a little bit about how it felt to get, you know, to, to have such a well-received debut <laughs> during that awkward time. Yeah, it was it was a very bizarre time because like everyone else, you know, it was, uh, of course, unprecedented. So on one hand, your mind is totally somewhere else besides the book. On the other hand, you know, of course, waiting for your debut to come out is a singular moment in any author's life. So mine came out on March 17th was maybe the which was maybe the single worst, you know, week it could have possibly come out. But Incredible. I, yeah. was, I was fortunate to have done a lot of interviews and stuff before um, the pandemic. So so it wasn't all lost, but yeah, there was definitely, you know, the canceled tour and, and all of that stuff. So at least now, while it's still not back to normal, it feels like everybody's adjusted to the pandemic and, you know, we can move on and concentrate on other things. Whereas with the first one, it was just kind of mayhem all the time. Amazing. Yeah. That must have been super stressful. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't the lowest stress point of my life, certainly, <laughs> but you know, you get past it. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think a lot of authors... Um, have been on this same roller coaster. And yeah, so let's, uh, you know, I want to talk about the latest. This might hurt. Of course, um, it's been getting some, uh, just some stellar blurbs and reviews. But let's talk about your, your backstory a little bit as an author, because I, find, I always find it fascinating. Um, stories of like copywriters who break through into uh, uh, fiction and novel writing. And, but of course you come from an MFA background and, you know, you've talked a little bit about kind of, um, the process of, uh, you know, going from, you know, finishing your thesis to, and being unemployed to then going on to p having published, um, you know, a bestseller and, and beyond. So talk a little bit about the journey for you. Um, yeah, kind of the short version. Sure. So, you know, I, I always wanted to be a writer, but it just didn't seem like a practical way to make one's living. I mean, I just frankly thought, what are the odds? So the best thing I could find that was close to it was uh, copywriting. And so I, I worked at advertising agencies for seven or eight years, you know, writing TV spots and radio and digital and all that good stuff. Um, and then it was during a period of unemployment. Um, I had recently moved to London that I was like, you know what, I, what do I have to lose? I think I'm going to actually take a shot at this. So I applied to MFA hmm. programs because I had no formal education in creative writing. You know, I'd never taken a creative writing class before. Um, and so I went to Emerson College in Boston and did that two-year program. And then the thesis that I wrote for that actually ended up being Darling Rose Gold. So mm -hmm. that was, you know, and as they say, the rest is history. Amazing. Yeah, that's pretty fascinating that the thesis then becomes the the bestseller and i have heard this story before but it's pretty it's pretty um 
pretty phenomenal. Um, so anyway, congratulations, of course, Darling Rose Gold explored that uh, mother-daughter relationship. And now um, let's talk about kind of the process that went into the latest. And um, I know you've written some about the research process of creating this fictional island uh, getaway. But yeah, um, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about cults, but let's talk about um, the challenge of yeah, writing a uh, a second novel during a pandemic and and kind of the process that went into um, this might hurt. Yeah, so actually the the pandemic I felt like wasn't necessarily a hindrance. To be honest, it was kind of a nice escape to go into this fictional world that I had total mm. control over versus the real one where you know it felt like things were just falling apart. Mm-hmm. But I will say the second novel was definitely a huge challenge compared to the first. You know, you hear about this sort of notorious second novel being the hardest one. And I thought, not me, I've got a plan. And, you know, seven drafts later, clearly the plan didn't exactly work out. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was, it was really challenging. I mean, I think in part because I was trying something technically more difficult and that I had three point of view characters this time. And yeah, they were, you know, I just kept working at it draft after draft. And eventually the the voices came through and things fell into place. But it was definitely not easygoing. This one was a real, a real challenge. Talk a little bit about, I know mean, I want to talk about the unique research that went into this book, but talk a little bit about setting and place and how you, how you chose um, this kind of uh, unique setting. Yeah. So, so Wisewood is set on a fictitious island, private island off the coast of Maine. And I knew from the beginning that I wanted the book to be set in Maine. I just, I think it's such a beautiful state. It's got a lower population. So it's kind of already got this like isolated feel in places. But initially I thought maybe I would set it in the North Maine woods um, on the border with Canada. Hmm. But then, you know, I thought what would be even harder to escape like an island that's eight miles, you know, from the mainland and Mm -hmm. in 50 degree water, you know, you're not swimming across to get help. (laughs) Um, so unless you have a boat, you're kind of stuck. Um, so I think that just ups the ante in terms of making things more sinister and atmospheric. And I really enjoyed writing that setting. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to talk, of course, we're not going to do any spoilers on this show, of course, but, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, I mean, we've been, we hear about cults all the time, but we've been especially hearing, um, in the last few years about, um, you know, cults in the media like Nexium. Nexium, am I saying that correctly? Yeah, yeah, Nexium. Um, which I thought had a had an interesting resemblance to what is happening um, in the book. Only just that, you know, um, you know, the members of of that cult were asked to give like some sort of collateral, right? Mm. Um, and it seemed it seemed like an interesting parallel to kind of what's happening in this might hurt, but uh, yeah. Uh, talk, talk a little bit about kind of researching cults or, you know, kind of getting into the, getting behind the scenes in the, of the, of um, what's happening. Yeah. So it's interesting when you start looking at a number of them, the, the uh, one example that you listed, the collecting of collateral, Nexium did it, the People's Temple, which is, you know, back in the 1970s also mm-hmm. did it. There, you start to see all these resemblances between things, which is what I love so much about the research process is I can see what real life cults did and what kept them effective and sort of in business for a lack of a better phrase. Um, and sure. then, you know, t- 
take some of those things and then make some of my own things. Um, when I was creating my own cult, I didn't want it to be a religious-based one or a sex cult. I wanted it to be something that had principles that, in theory, the common reader would nod their heads at, you know, and say, yeah, sure, fearlessness, you know, not caring so much what other people think, not being so reliant on our devices. Those all sound like good things. And that was important because in real life, people don't sign up for cults. They sign up for yeah. religious organizations or social groups or whatever it is, hoping yeah. to find some deeper meaning in their lives. And so I didn't want to just automatically shoot straight to the crazy rituals and uniforms or haircuts or whatever, <laughs> um, which I think is in the past, like been more of the focus in art when it comes to cults. So I, I really sure. wanted to dive into the psychology of it. Yeah. And that's pretty fascinating. I mean, as you say, you know, we kind of have this obsession with unplugging or, um, you know, our, our current, um, you know, I think society has a, has a question mark kind of hanging over everybody's head about like how much screen time is healthy or, you know, we have this very unhealthy relationship to our smartphones and smart devices and so on and so forth. So, um, of course that underlying, uh, theme, it really resonates, but then, um, yeah. Um, talk about kind of then when you're really getting into a flow state with the book and you're really kind of cranking out pages, um, when you feel like you've done enough research and you've synthesized a lot of this stuff, um, what, what does a really prolific period look like for, for you? You know, what's a, what's a, what's a day like that feel like? Yeah. I mean, I think the first draft is certainly the most prolific in that I'm, I try not to be an editor at that point, And I try to just kind of crank out the pages because, you know, I can always make something that's there better, but if there's nothing there, <laughs> there's nothing to improve. Hmm. Um, so for me with the first draft, typically I try to do a chapter a day versus a specific word count because, hmm. you know, each chapter is sort of its own self-contained little story. Um, but before I begin writing those chapters, I like to have a sentence summary at least of what's, um, of what's going to be happening for the entire book, for each chapter. And then typically, you know, the day before I write that chapter, I'll kind of outline the scenes and just sort of loosely what needs to happen. For me, you know, I, I know a lot of writers say it takes the joy out of the writing if they already know what's coming. But for me, I feel like I'm already juggling so many balls that to also have to decide what's what action is happening, you know, which characters are going to be there. Like, that would just be a, a level of stress that I think would not be conducive to getting anything done. So it helps me, yeah. even if things change, to sort of have some sort of guide to trick myself into thinking everything's under control. Yeah, absolutely. Talk a little bit about the uh, the uh, cover artwork, and you know, I know you you hint or you tease at the fact that it that it reveals something, uh, uh, maybe a secret. Um, was that was that something you planned, or was that something that uh, that the creative side had to do with? No, that was definitely the designers. I can't take credit for it. I mean, the the broken platter is very relevant to the story, which you know you'll discover as you get further and further into the book. Um, I really, I've really gotten lucky with both of my covers so far. I just love the way that these 
the team has brought these stories to life. Um, mm. You know, it's got that sinister feel, but it's also very brightly colored, which, you know, typically is associated with more maybe positive sentiments. Um, but hopefully it stands out in a sea of, you know, thrillers where the it's more common that the colors are very dark and, you know, black and navies and stuff like that. So I'm, yeah, yeah I'm fully supportive of these covers. <laughs> cool. Well, congrats. I mean, this blurb from Ashley Audrain, um, bestselling author of The Push, I thought was really cool. She said, you'll be gripped in this clever exploration of fear and vulnerability right until the flawless ending. Uh, that was some pretty high praise from a, yeah, I'm, from a fellow author. <laughs> yeah, Ashley's wonderful. And her debut, The Push, is, was one of my favorite books the, you know, the year that it came out. I just, mm -hmm. it's such an honor to get, you know, to have any author willing to read your book, but, you know, especially authors whose books you also loved is just, it's such a nice feeling, like I said, after you've been working alone for so long um, yeah. to, to finally bring it out into the world. And it's nerve wracking, of course, to, to wait for feedback. But when it, when some of it's positive, that's always a nice feeling. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, This Might Hurt um, has been described as a dark, thrilling novel about two sisters, one trapped in the clutches of a cult, the other in a web of her own lies. Um, of course, I will point at your home base. I will point at a link to stephanierobel.com. Um, I thought that it was very cool that you created this uh, Spotify playlist, which not all authors do, that uh, readers can tune into. Do you, so were you listening to this music maybe while you were writing the book? Or are you, are you someone who prefers like silence or like white noise? I'm pretty, I'm pretty silent uh, when it comes to actual the actual writing. I will say... Mm -hmm. I kept listening to the, during the development of one of the characters, um, I was listening to a Billie Eilish record, just like on repeat. Cause it, you know, has those very like dark elements and that to get into the mindset of this character. Um, I, I listened to that a lot, but no, when it comes to the actual drafting, I find it hard to kind of hear the rhythm of the sentences and things like that. If I also have some sort of music playing. So unless I'm trying to block out noise, you know, with like, let's say instrumental piano music or something. Other than that, I'm typically yeah. writing in silence. Okay. But pre pre pandemic, were you like a, ever a coffee shop writer uh, or a coffee shop editor? I understand that like some, some authors have distinct, you know, like a distinctly different setting for kind of the different functions. Yeah. You know, that's interesting. I, I, I it's the same, I would say, I'm sitting at my desk for the actual writing and editing, but I am, like, if I'm in a brainstorming phase, I'm definitely more of, like, a couch or a comfy chair. I don't know what it is, but, like, if I'm comfortable, <laughs> I just feel, like, much more creative. But if I'm, like, kind of lacking in motivation, I'm like, all right, I need to get to the desk, you know, I need to get to the desk, get a chair mm -hmm. with a straight back, sort of just feel like it's time to hunker down and get some work done. But I do love to sit on a couch while I work, too. Mm. So maybe it's a posture thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's probably not good for my spine, but you know, no. whatever. <laughs> I don't think I don't think I don't think many writers have like the best posture, but you know, I could we could posit this question to the <laughs> to the audience because you know, I, I think that like a lot of like I mean people who work on computers a lot tend to have that kind of, you know, hunched over issue yeah. unless they're unless they're really like focusing on you know i don't know some daily yoga pilates stuff or you know really working to stand up straight like a standing desk have you ever tried a standing desk 
no, I hate standing. <laughs> I know that's a ridiculous thing to say, but I'm like either walking or sitting, but just like standing annoys me. I'm just like, why would you, you know, there's like a perfectly good chair nearby. Oh, uh, that's funny. Um, yeah, I, I understand that there aren't a ton of like really serious writers that like the standing desk. It's just like you really want to get lost in flow, you know, when you're yeah. in this fictional world and anything that takes you out of it is sort of like, uh, it's a, you know, it's an annoyance. And so, so anything, you know, whether that's music or people talking to you, I think that's why the, you know, the famed like room with a door sort of thing is just shut the rest of the world out so that you can get lost in this one. And so getting rid of as many distractions hmm. is that the ideal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, as far as the creative process and and kind of where you know where ideas like these come from, you know, you you have some themes running through your work um, with the with the mother daughter uh, theme, and then of course the bond of sisters in the latest. Um, maybe talk a little bit about where kind of the genesis of these the kernels of these novels came from, but then also talk about kind of maybe what you're looking at to do next. Sure. So it's interesting. I didn't set out in either novel to really write a story about mother, daughter or sisters. I think with, you know, with Rose Gold, it was just typically, I wanted to write about someone with Munchausen by proxy. And typically Mm -hmm. that is a parent child relationship. And then with this one, um, this might hurt. I knew that two of the three points of view would be a cult leader and a cult member, but it wasn't until later that the outsider came in. And I wanted that outsider to be somebody who was more obligated than let's say a friend, but maybe less dedicated than a parent. So a sibling felt like the right sort of striking the right balance in terms Mm -hmm. of who was going to come rescue um, Kit. And so, you know, I have two younger sisters and no brothers. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to examine a relationship that I've known all my life. Um, and so, yeah, that's how I ended up with a book about sisters. But I certainly, when I, when I set out to write it, I was not at all intending, you know, to explore familial bonds or anything. It just sort of, I felt like it was necessary to get to tell the story that I wanted to tell. Gotcha. So do you have a project in the hopper? Oh, yeah. So I um, am waiting for feedback on my third novel, um, just turned in the first draft. Mm. And that is a story about an American woman who is living in this giant manor in the English countryside. And she hasn't left her house in two years or spoken to anyone in two years. Um, And then one day, a elderly British woman knocks on her door. And that sort of sets things in motion. So yeah, mm. I, I wanted to write a story about a recluse. Uh, and maybe the pandemic helped more there than anything else. <laughs> you know, all of us have been so isolated. Um, so that one's been a lot of fun to write. Gotcha. Um, do you feel like that recluse? Uh, in sometimes, your yeah, sometimes. Yeah, I mean, when you're, when you're thick in the middle of, you know, a draft or whatever, you know, you, it, it is a lot of alone time as a writer, yeah. certainly. Um, but you know, within reason, I guess I, I thought I would joke about being a recluse until I actually started studying real life recluses and hermits. <laughs> and then I realized I'm, you know, I'm okay. I'm, I'm an introvert, <laughs> but I'm not, you know, I'm not to the extreme yet. Right. Right. 
Well, fantastic. Uh, before we kind of wrap up here with um, a fun one and your advice to your fellow scribes on how to persevere, um, of course, I'll point to your home base. As I mentioned, stuffyrobel.com. Um, you're on all the socials, and I will link to those. <laughs> uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Is there anywhere else that you uh, connect with uh, readers? No, those those are the main ones. It's yeah, maintaining those is enough. God yeah, forbid yeah. I add another. I thought it was cool that you offer some um, advice to writers. There resources for writers. That's always always really inspiring to see. And then, of course, you talked about uh, or you wrote about the uh, research process. So listeners can check that out over at stephanierebel.com. Yeah. Do you have a uh, any other authors or any other? Um, uh, films or, or anything that's inspiring your process right now? Any books on your bedside table that you're kind of stuck on? You know, a book that I just recently read um, and loved was A Head Full of Ghosts by Paul Tremblay. It's a horror mm. novel. Um, and it's it's just absolutely fascinating. I love the voice. Um, that actually is also a book about sisters, but uh, it's just, it's really funny, which I love when, you know, genres that are typically not thought of as very humorous when you can get humor in there, that's like always a favorite of mine. And it's also a really thoughtful analysis of just the horror genre, um, at large. Hmm. So I really recommend that one. It came out a few years ago, so it's, it's not, you know, a recent cool. release or anything, but I really enjoyed right. it. Love that recommendation. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of interesting because I, you know, I didn't, I didn't put the, uh, the horror genre kind of like on the radar for inspiration for your work, but, um, did, have you traditionally like, uh, enjoyed horror like as a genre? Um, you know, I mean, cause there's some horror writers that bend towards thriller and, or, you know, psychological stuff. Like obviously writers like Stephen King can kind of, can kind of, uh, do, do all the things, but are, you know, are those books that you've, you've gravitated towards? Um, I would say I dabble in horror. I mean, <laughs> definitely <laughs> it's, uh, if it's it, too much of it, I think would be like too heavy. Um, but I do, I really enjoy the, probably not surprisingly, the psychological elements of horror, you know, more so yeah. than let's say like the supernatural stuff. Um, so mm -hmm. yeah, it's, I, I have been getting into horror more recently, but then I find if I read too much of it, I'm like, okay, now I need something to lighten things up. You know, it's just, yeah. it's a lot of darkness all the time. Um, well, there is a cinematic quality to your work. Are there any adaptations, uh, that we can look forward to? Oh, not yet. I mean, I would love to, but, um, we shall see nothing in the works as of okay. right now. All right. Well, uh, before we wrap up here with your advice, if you could choose one author from any era for an all expense paid dinner to your favorite restaurant in the world, who would you take and where would you take them? Oh, that's a tough one. I think I would take, I don't know, this would probably be such an awkward dinner, but I think I would take <laughs> Shirley Jackson. Um, cause she's just like, some of my favorite writing is hers you know we have always yeah. lived in the castle is one of my favorite novels the lottery is my favorite short story um i don't know where i would take her i feel like she would hate somewhere fancy so i'd probably try to go somewhere that's more on the casual side i mean i love mexican huh. food but i don't know it's oh. kind of hard to imagine shirley jackson in a mexican restaurant <laughs> for some reason well, why not that could yeah. be really funny i mean it's my it's my dream <laughs> i guess so yeah i'll say that <laughs> shirley jackson get some tacos yeah that's not or... like enchiladas or something similar yeah. um cool all right um 
yeah, just uh, any advice you have to just aspiring scribes on how to how to persevere through the good times and or the bad and and how to keep going. Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of, you know, more practical advice, it really is about setting goals for yourself, whether you're working on a a novel or a shorter project, even an article, whatever, um, whether it's a specific word count or pages, um, just kind of holding yourself accountable before you have those deadlines set by other people. I found setting them for myself was really helpful. I mean, the reality is nobody's waiting for the work, but you kind of have to treat it like like someone is, you know, in mm-hmm. order to to get it done. And then, yeah, I think just, you know, from a more, I guess, inspirational point, it's not losing sight of why you're doing it. I think even, even as a published writer, um, focusing less on the external, you know, sort of the, the reviews and getting published and all of that, which is easier said than done. I sometimes don't practice what I preach, but if you just really focus on the love of writing and getting better at the craft, I think it's a lot easier to keep returning to your desk day after day um, because, you know, nobody can take that away from you no matter, you know, what's going on in the rest of the world. Oh, I love that. Focus on the love of writing and don't forget you can't edit a blank page. Mm-hmm. I think that was some of your earlier advice. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Congrats. Um, I have 30 more seconds to ask you a nerdy copywriting question. Who's your favorite old school copywriter of your oh my gosh i i mean <laughs> i loved like everything good being silverstein we're doing you know with all of the like apple i know everybody probably says that but really like all of those ads were just so smart so yeah okay. i probably go with them perfect thank you again stephanie uh enjoy the rest of your um birthday party <laughs> and um hopefully you'll come back and talk to us again in the future sounds great thanks Kelton. Thanks so much for joining us for this file. And if you're a fan of the show, simply head over to writerfiles.fm for more. That's writerfiles.fm.